Hey guys, um, before I actually get started, I just want to tell you very a little bit about myself, especially for the people that have never actually heard me before. I, um, I joined CCC about... Um, or CCC Sydney about six years ago. I came from CCC Brisbane. Uh, met up with a young man by the name of Jürgen Matesius, an <coughs> uh, incredible youth communicator, and um, we kind of really um, knitted hearts and souls and then so made the move down to Sydney. Started a company which um, I founded called The Oxygen Factory. Um, like Dave was saying, we speak in around about 300 high schools to around about 100,000 students every single year. I have the awesome opportunity to work with our first 15 rugby teams, athletic squads, swimming, swimming squads, leadership groups. Um, also did a couple of rugby academies in South Auckland um, last, uh, late last year, which was um, an awesome, awesome opportunity. So it's just a, a blessing. So you can attribute much of the All Black to success to my teaching. <laughs> Anyway, do you have your Bibles there? If you wouldn't mind grabbing your Bibles out and turning with me to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. We'll begin here. Psalm 23. And what I'm going to do here to, this morning, guys, is I'm just going to read through the whole entire psalm. It's a very familiar psalm, a psalm that we're all, I think, heard numerous times before. But um, if you would allow me to just extrapolate the context of this particular psalm, and I believe really kind of bring it alive here this morning into the hearer's heart. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read it through, and then we'll come back and pull it apart word by word. And it begins like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare us a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, mm-mm-mm. surely, Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord God, that the flower fades, the grass withers, but the word of the Lord shall stand forever. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would make my mind nimble and agile, Lord God, so I can bring your word with power and with authority and with anointing. I pray, Heavenly Father, as this word, Lord God, gets spoken out this morning, Lord God, that it would erupt in the, in the hearers' ears, Lord God, and they would begin to move to a high level of deliverance, Lord God. They would be empowered, Lord God, by your spirit in Jesus. Jesus' mighty name, use these lips of clay to articulate words of wisdom. Lord God, words that would speak directly to people's hearts in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. I got to tell you, I love this psalm. It is a sparkling sonnet. It, it is a powerful piece of poetic prose. 
And I notice that this psalm, often we, we look at this psalm but forget to look at what came before it. You see, in Psalm 22, it begins with these words. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Out of great anguish, out of great hopelessness, comes this psalm of extravagant and opulent hope. So out of darkness always precedes light. And it's interesting tonight that this psalm is just so jam-packed full of revelation and insight. Because it begins like this. The Lord. Mm. The Lord. Isn't the Bible just so jam-packed full of revelation and insight? Do you realize what it took for David to write that? This shepherd boy? What it would took for a young Jewish man to begin to sit down and write those two words, what it actually means, the Lord is actually translated Yahweh, which actually means God, which is actually God's name. For a young Jewish boy to actually write those words, he would have to prepare himself mentally all day. Take a bath, take a fresh writing instrument that had never been written with before. And he was to sketch out the word Yahweh, and he wasn't permitted to stop writing the name of God until he had finished, not even to greet a king. And see, the Jews so esteemed the word of God that they, if they made a mistake, they weren't allowed to erase it. They had to merely draw a circle around it, take that piece of parchment and go and bury it somewhere in the ground. See, the Jews esteemed the name of the Lord. that They weren't even permitted to say his name. In prayer, they would use the word Adonai. That's why in the movie The Passion, you see Jesus in the opening scenes rocking back and forth and calling out Adonai, Adonai. Even in conversation, they weren't permitted to use God's name. They would use the word Hashem in conversation because they esteemed the name of God so highly that they believed that it was not to be uttered with human lips. In fact, Jesus said, when you pray, pray in this manner, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy name is to be esteemed. And see, Jesus, Jesus, the young shepherd boy, he knew how to fight with the name of God. When he came up against Goliath, he said, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. He knew how to fight with the name of God. Elijah said, you call on the name of your gods and I'll call on the name of my God. And the God that answers by fire. See, when his, do you realize that when you call on his name, do you realize what you just called into your apartment? into your bedroom, into your, into your church. When you say, your kingdom come, do you realize what just occurred? The kingdom of heaven is coming towards your situation, your obstacle, your challenge. It's like Michael, the archangel, whenever he hears those words, he unsheathed his sword and begins to 
move down on your behalf. The, the name of the Lord is to be esteemed. Oh, do you, do you know his name? I'm talking about the bright and morning star. I'm talking about the ancient of days. I'm talking about the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I'm talking about his name, that at the mention of his name, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. See, I'm talking about the name of Jesus. I'm talking about wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I'm talking about His name. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run in and are saved. Oh, somebody, 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 somebody. Is anybody getting this? The Lord. Mm, mm, mm. Then it goes on to say, the Lord is. Is, is, the Lord is, not was, not could be, not ought to be, not should be. The Lord is, present tense, right now. The Lord is my, oh goodness, help me preach this. The Lord is my, the Lord is my, the Lord is my, it's enough that I am his. But the he is mine. The Lord is my. That he would allow himself to be a personal possession. The Lord is my shepherd. Five powerful words in the hands of a believer. Now do you know what it is to shepherd? It means to lead, to guide and protect. In rugby, to shepherd someone means to stand in front of their line of, of, of standing in front of the line of attack. Do you know that Jesus is your shepherd? That he said, when the enemy tries to attack, he stands, blocking. The, the Lord is my shepherd. Five powerful words in the hands of people could do much. Oh, somebody. The Lord, I feel like preaching here tonight. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, here's the thing. I did some work on this, and I worked, I worked out that if, I'm, if the Lord is my shepherd, um, according to David's illustration, then I'm a sheep. Here's the thing about sheep. I, I did some work on this, and I, I, I went to the dictionary to find out how would they describe a sheep. And I found out it goes something like this. Here are some dictionary definitions of a sheep. It says this, a timid, defenseless simpleton. Who is readily preyed upon? A docile, vulnerable person who would rather make an independent decision. I, hey, listen, I got to tell you this. Um, honestly, I don't want to be a sheep. <laughs> I don't like the metaphor. I mean, why didn't you make me a panther? Because <laughs> at least when I faced trouble, I could have crawled my way out of it. Or why didn't you make me a gazelle? Because at least I'd have the agility and dexterity to actually run. But why'd you make me a dumb sheep? <laughs> See, I, I think it's because God wants us to know that the battle is kind of arrayed against us. See, you don't actually need faith when you're sure you're going to win. You actually need faith when it looks like you're facing an impossible situation. 
And he wants you to know that, listen, I am your shepherd. I will take care. I will look after you. In other words, the battle is not yours. It belongs to me. I'm trying to help you understand that the weapons of your warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God through the pulling down of strongholds. You don't need to have the wherewithal to be able to come up to your attack because I am your shepherd. Oh, somebody. I, I, I love this. And he, he, here's the thing about God being our, our, our shepherd. The, these five words. Whenever you come up against an obstacle, against a challenge, against some sort of situation, like whenever there's too many bills and not enough money, I want you to repeat these words. The Lord is my shepherd. When the doctor said that you're facing an incurable disease and there's no way that you're going to find yourself out of this, I want you to remember these five words. The Lord is my shepherd. Whenever you're, whenever you're afraid it's an obstacle concerning your, your children, you don't, you don't see a way out. You don't know how it's, it's going to all work out. You've got to remember these five words. The Lord is my shepherd. Now that tells me this. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd calls for his sheep and they know his voice. Hmm. He knows his voice. Here's an interesting thought. You know when Peter jumped out of the boat, he said, Jesus, because they're all in this boat and the winds and the waves and the storms of life were tossing them. And so what happened was Jesus came to them and at first they thought it was a ghost. But then Peter got out onto the edge of that boat and he said, Jesus, is that you? And Jesus said to him, come. And Peter stepped out on that water. Do you realize that some of the obstacles and challenges that you're facing right now it is merely put in place for you to be able to recognize the voice of God? Because if you can recognize his voice, then what you'll be able to do is you'll be able to step out on water and literally do the impossible. See, we pray for God to change our situation. But God wants our situation to change us. And I think it's really, really necessary for us at times to actually need a shift. Because has anyone ever felt lost in life? Where you're really not sure which direction to take. And you need to hear the shepherd's call. Say, come over here. This is the road. Because when you're faced in life with various pathways, I think it's important to know that we have someone who cares for us. And one thing I've learned is this. Some people also have some sort of retarded view of God. They actually think that if I follow God, well then, what if he sends me out to some third world country (laughs) where there's no toilets? (laughs) And I have to go and, you know... But hey, listen, you know what I've learned about God? If God chooses to bother you, then it's only because he wants to better you. (laughs) You see, I've learned this about God. I've said, God, if you see me live below my potential, then bother me. (laughs) If you see me living an ordinary life when you've called me to be extraordinary, then God, bother me. I give you permission because you look at the people he bothered in the Bible and how their life got incredibly transformed. Moses was out in some back desert feeding sheep and he said, he called him by a burning bush experience and said this, go up to most powerful person 
on the planet and tell him, let my people go. When he calls you, he's only wanting to better you. Bishop T.D. Jakes said this about people getting confused about life and not knowing which way to go. He said this, you can't achieve anything great in life with a question mark over your head. If you're constantly questioning which direction I ought to go, then don't expect to do anything great in life. It is mandatory that we have a shepherd who will lead and guide us and actually take us on. Then it goes on and it says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Isn't it amazing how some Christians read this? I shall not want, because God is going to give me everything I want. It's actually not saying that. It's saying, if the Lord is your shepherd, I shall not want for anything. I don't have to have. And see, we live in a world, in a society, where many people have this incessant need for stuff. We need the latest clothes. We need the latest cars. We need the latest stuff. Because, see, if we have no interior life, then how else are we supposed to show the world that we're successful except by our exteriors? And we've been caught up. It's a worldwide epidemic. It's called luxury fever. <laughs> we, want the, we want the luxuries. I read recently in a report, and let me just talk to you about Australians because I know Kiwis aren't like this. <laughs> in Australia, we, we've lived in a time of tremendous economic growth. In 2004, our... Um, the income of the nation went up $25 billion. Yet, public services like hospitals and schools are suffering. Because what happens is people, people complain about those things that the government aren't providing, but no one wants to take a tax cut. So what they're saying is, we don't have a public services issue. What we have is a plasma screen issue. See, more houses want plasma TVs than we want to actually care for people in hospitals and schools. That's just Australians, that's not Kiwis, of course. Uh, listen to this, despite the fact that we live in an area of unprecedented abundance, the broad, bass, the broad mass of middle class people around the world believe that their incomes are is insufficient to supply their needs. But the problem isn't in inadequate incomes, but rather inflated needs. Houses have become bigger and bigger. Cars have become larger and larger. Maybe the cars have become larger and larger to accommodate our growing waistlines. This incessant need for stuff. And have you noticed a lot of the fast food chains? It's not about quality, but it's about quantity. Size me up. All I want is I want more for little. I, we have... You know what, really, really, um, you think, about, think about it like this. You know how distorted an image is of an anorexic girl? She, she thinks she's really, really obese, when in actual fact she's very, very thin. We can all look at that and see how there is a very, very serious distortion going on, right? Yet how many of us have become so full of abundance and we've got everything that we need but we still think 
that we don't have enough. And we've not learnt to be happy with what we do have. That we're constantly chasing something else. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We live in a society that, that is so consumer-driven. We constantly think that we don't, and consumption has become the norm. In fact, there is a study that's been conducted at the moment, and um, basically in every English-speaking nation around the world, there is a new epidemic called affluenza. We want stuff that we can't, uh, that we want stuff that we can't necessarily afford. And luxury goods have, 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 have literally gone up. And you know, have you noticed how we've become so fascinated by the trivial? It's amazing how we will spend three months talking about who's the parent of Anna Nicole Smith's baby. And no, no news station will broadcast what's happening in Sudan or Rwanda or India. Because if we can become fascinated by all that other stuff, then we don't actually have to think about the real stuff about life. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Then it goes on to say this, he makes me. Don't you love the Lord? He makes me lie down. Because you know how sometimes we think it's our job to run the world? And that things just won't. So I'm, I'm thankful that sometimes the Lord makes me lie down. Because sometimes, to be honest, I don't want to lie down. But I know that I need to. We're a part of a society where pop culture, it's like a blur of speed. It's a blur of books, movies, CDs. As the now generation fast forwards to the next big thing. Everything is just like so five minutes ago. You're either now or you're nothing. And you'd better be quick about it. Fast serving supermarket chains introduce even faster and faster lanes. Customers with 12, 20 items. Politicians communicate in shorter and shorter sound bites. From, from, from fast food to microwave ovens, quick fix, speed dating, speed reading, faster download times. Everything is fast. It's almost like speed. The very word excites us. Faster, faster, faster. It's the mantra of our age. The ultimate goal of an anti-contemplative society. Why would you take the scenic route, scenic route when the expressway offers a much speedier dispatch? And what are you going to do with the extra hour or so that you saved? Sometimes we need to just lie down. It's an amazing thing. I I did a study on on the Sabbath and how necessary it is for us to take some time out, to have some Selah moments. In the Psalms, they call it Selah. It's like a pregnant pause where you stop, you sit, and you reflect upon what's really, really important, like family. Like that you take the time out. Because, you know, we're pretty intelligent, right? We know the difference between urgent and important. We know the important thing is to read a story to our child. But what happens so often is the phone rings. And that's urgent. So we have to go get the phone. I'll be back in a minute. So we go to the phone and we answer the phone. And it's a stupid call, but we're there for half an hour. And then we realize, oh, no, I've got to get to the gym before the gym closes. Then we come back. See, so, so we know that this is important. We know the difference between, but so often we choose the urgent over the important. God, thank you for making me lie down. He makes me lie down where? In green pastures. 
You know what I love about green pastures? David's writing this about an area in, in, in Palestine that's dry and arid. To have green pastures, what had to happen was the shepherd actually had to prepare them, irrigate them, water them. Do you realize that God has a prepared place of rest for you? A place that he's already prepared. A place of rest and solace and relaxation. Thank you, Lord God, for preparing me green pastures. And then it goes on, it says this, He leads me beside the still waters. <laughs> you, know, you know why the waters are still? Because <laughs> sheep are dumb. <laughs> and if the waters were too fast, what would happen in their haste to drink water in these dry, arid regions, the sheep would fall over and get taken downstream. So what happens is a shepherd gives the sheep what the sheep can handle. God, thank you for giving me what I can handle. Thank you for giving me a job that I can handle. Thank you for giving me a wife that I can handle. Thank you for giving me kids that I can handle. Thank you for leading me beside the still waters where I can actually handle what's going on in my life. And then there are so many climaxes in this particular psalm. And here's just one of them. It says this, and then he restores my soul. Thank you, Lord, for when my soul has been kind, become tired and weary and exhausted, I thank you for restoring my soul. In another one of the Psalms, it says, David writes this and he says, Why is my soul being cast down and why is my spirit so disquieted within me? Have you ever noticed that at times your soul can be cast down? Just like sheep. Sheep can become cast, right? And when a sheep is cast, what happens is they roll over and their legs are in the air and they can't get back up. And so what happens is gases build up and their circulation becomes retarded and it can kill them if the shepherd doesn't come and quickly turn them back up again. Three reasons why sheep become cast. Number one is this. They find a soft spot in the grass and they become complacent. And they roll over, and their legs are in the air. Complacency. I mean, here's the thing about complacency. If there's one type of person I find it difficult to deal with, it's apathetic people. Because, I mean, what can you do with apathetic people? You know, if you're angry, I can tell you, stop being angry. Get some counseling. Fix the problem. If you're a liar, we, we, we can get you some help. We can get you some support about, uh, about lying. But what do you say to apathetic people? Stop doing nothing. <laughs> but I'm not doing anything wrong. Yeah, but you're not doing anything right. Number one, complacency. Number two, the second reason why sheep become cast is because they have too much wool. And they become heavy and they roll up. You know what wool speaks of? Wool speaks of the old life, the carnal life. What they need to be done is they need to be sheared from that old life the attitudes, the nature of that old life, and literally become born again. Number three, the third reason why sheep becomes cast is because he's fat and undisciplined and doesn't spend time in the Word. So they become, their soul becomes cast and they become full of anxieties because they haven't set to daily disciplines. Complacency, too much of the old life, and fat. Now here's the thing. I'm talking about sheep. But if the metaphor fits, 
suck it up. <laughs> it's interesting to, all, to also note that while, when, when, when sheep become cast, see, we need the good shepherd to come and restore our soul and turn us around and make us whole again. The whole thing about he restores my soul is he makes me strong again. See, I was once strong, but now I've become weak. So I don't know how many of you are willing to admit this, but you know how there are some times where, I mean, you can take some punches, you can take some hits, some obstacles, and, and you, you can still stand up. But has anyone ever been hit by something that has knocked you clean out of the ring? And it's not that you didn't want to get up. You wanted to get up, but there are some obstacles there are some challenges that you just become cast and you need the good shepherd to help restore you again and 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 this kind of really affects our 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 thinking um let me give it to you like this um has anyone ever heard of the process called entrainment entrainment is is like this christian hugens a dutch physicist in 1665 came up with the process Basically, what he did was this. You know pendulum clocks? He swung two pendulum clocks in a room at different rates. And after a while, he came back and he found these pendulum clocks start to synchronize. He thought, this is strange. He swung a third in a a room, and after a period of time, they all began to synchronize. He thought, this is weird. He called that process entrainment. When things are placed, they start to harmonize. Let me give it to you like this. Has anyone ever watched the Discovery Channel? And you've seen those schools of fish, and it's almost like one central thought goes throughout the whole school, and they immediately turn. How do they all know, bang, to, birds do the same thing. It's like, bang, we're changing direction. Why? Because they've all learned to synchronize. And because we're all adults here, let me also give it to you like this. They've actually found in female convents, female prisons, and female boarding houses in schools, that females' menstrual cycles will also start to align. And the cycle will be the same number of days. Think about this for a moment. If that can happen biologically, then how, how must we take on the thinking, the behavior of our environment, unconsciously without even thinking? Hence why we need a shepherd to lead us out of our environment into a place where we can start to live and breathe like the people that he created us to be. We need a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Then it goes on and it says this. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I love that. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. He leads me in the paths of right, right living, not for my sake, but for his sake. See, when you've called him your shepherd, he will lead you out of trouble. What is this basically saying? Let me break it down for you like this. You know the times when you actually didn't want to do what's right? But he led you in the path of righteousness for his name's sake? Let me break it down for you like this. You know that time when you wanted to make that call to that person? Who you knew if you made the call to that person, you put yourself in a sticky situation? And then when you made the call, it was engaged? Or they went home? And... You know when you're meant to make that call to get yourself involved in something that you know you shouldn't have been? Thank you for leading me in the path of righteousness for your name's sake. Even when I didn't want to do what's right, you made a way out. 
Here's what I've learned to thank God for. I've learned to be thankful for the doors he opens, but I've also learned to be thankful for the doors he closes. Thank you for, getting, for not allowing me to get into that group of people. Thank you for closing. Thank you for telling him not to allow me in that clique, that group, that gang that you were persuaded to move towards, but somehow it just didn't work. There just wasn't that click. He led you in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And then it says this, another climax. Yea, though I walk through. Everyone say through. Notice he's not saying to. But through. Yea, though I walk through. You know what that tells me? That tells me that suffering has a beginning. And it also has an end. I don't know who I'm talking to here this morning, but I'm here to tell you that you are walking through this. Not to it, but through it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Shadow. Shadow boxing. You know, if my shadow was to hit Dave, he wouldn't be upset about it. Because it's just an illusion. It's just a shadow. It has, has no bite to it. You know, some of the fears that we come up against are just merely shadows. <laughs> They're just illusions that we think we can't press through when in actual fact, God has give us, given us the strength to keep on walking through the shadows. Through the, yea, though I walk through the shadow, the valley. Walk through the valley. The va- it's a dark place. A dark, it's between mountains, Right? So that means you may have come down one mountain only to walk through a valley because you're heading up another mountain. (laughs) I'm walking through the valley. Here's what I like about the valley. Because even in dark times, Jesus said that he is the lily of the valley. So that means even in a dark place, that lily can still bud and flower. You can actually still produce in a dark place. You can actually still continue to move forward in a dark place because he is the lily of the valley. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Say that with me. I will fear no evil. Come on. Not like you're in a library. Come on. Right again. I will fear no evil. Hey, you know, one more time, just with some hot chili pepper sauce. Ready? I will fear no evil. I don't know who that was for, but I felt that. I felt that deep down the basement of someone's being. You're going through a really difficult time right now. And those, I will fear. If I'm going through the valley of disease or debt or trouble or illness, I will fear no evil. Why will I fear no evil? For you are with me. I thank you, Lord God, that your presence surrounds me. I thank you that your anointing is with me. I thank you, Lord God, that you have empowered me. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I like this. Your rod and your staff. One translation says your rod and your club. I like that. I, have a, I grew up in a really rough area, so I've become accustomed to sleeping with a baseball bat beside my bed. 
And every, anytime I hear a noise, I just, oh yeah, everything's going to be okay. <laughs> my rod and my, your rod and your club. And here's the thing about the club. A club of a shepherd was basically like an extension of himself. And you know when the wolves come to attack, what happens is the shepherd throws his club and it hits the wolf and the wolf run, runs off. But here's the thing. You know how sometimes in some areas, you, you and the wolf are kind of a little bit tight? You know how you get a little bit cl- too close to the wolf? And you know, it's, and you know when the club, he, he's really wanting to hit the wolf. But because you and the wolf are so tight on some areas, he accidentally hits you. He's not meaning to hit you, but he's just meaning to scare away the wolf. You, you hear what I'm saying? You're right in your staff. They keep me safe. They keep me secure. And then it says this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You know what I love doing? Whenever I'm facing enemies, whenever I'm facing criticism, whenever I'm facing stuff that's arrayed against me, this is what I start to do. I start to do this. I start looking for that table. Because <laughs> there's got to be a table somewhere around here. <laughs> there's got to be a banquet full of food, <laughs> nourishment to sustain me through the battle and through the pain that I'm actually going through. Where is that table? Whenever you're facing any kind of obstacle or challenge, please start looking for the table. Because there is something there that has all the protein and carbohydrates that you need to keep you going. It's like manna falling from heaven that will sustain you in the desert and in the dark times to keep you focused and moving through. Please start looking for the table. You pray a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint. You, you anoint my head with oil. You, you know why the shepherd used to anoint the sheep with oil, right? Because it was made of linseed oil and sulfur. And what he would do is he would anoint the head of the sheep. Because what would happen in these dry areas? Flies would come get up the nostrils of the sheep and lay maggots, lay eggs in the sheep's brain. And maggots would start to form. And what would happen is the sheep would bang their head against trees. And they would kind of start to go mad. And then what would happen after a while in more advanced stages of this brain damage, it would actually cause the sheep to go blind. You know why sometimes we lack vision? It's because we have these eggs of negativity and doubt and fear that, that, that have so planted themselves in our thinking and in our thought life that we actually can't see where we're headed. So what the good shepherd does is he comes and anoints the head of the oil. And the, sheep's, the sheep can't... The flies can't penetrate the oil. They can't get through the oil. And so what happens is sheeps, sheep that would become nervous when the flies would start to come, now start to walk around a lot more confidently because they have the anointing oil of the shepherd. And anytime you have the anointing, you move forward. Anytime you lack the anointing, you start to go a little bit blind with your vision and you start to... Wonder when the flies are going to come and attack again and your thinking gets distorted and removed. Is anyone with me? I thank you, Lord God, that you have the anointed. I, I sense the anointing oil 
raining down from heaven right now because I know this word has power. And I once this word gets preached, God moves. And if you're open to hear, hear this morning, I, believe, I can feel it. Jesus, right now. There are people in this room right now that are reaching out. You're reaching out for more anointing. You're reaching, do you know what anoint, anointing is? Isaiah puts it like this. It is the burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of God. Another definition of the anointing is the perpetual power of the, the perpetual power of the, the perpetual anointing, the power of God that propels you through every line of Satan's defense. It's this anointing that empowers you through. See, here's what God does. He, give, he gives strength to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases in strength. For even the youth shall faint, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like an eagle. They shall run and not grow really weary. They shall walk and shall not faint. Lord God, I pray for the anointed to come and fill our hearts. Dose us with a new anointing of the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. I love the way God blesses us because it actually runs over. It's actually a super abundance of the power of God in, in, in our lives. Here's the thing. I'm just putting together a message right now called, Can You Stand to Be Blessed? Here's the thing about God. Be care- really careful what you ask Him because He might actually just give it to you. Because I asked when I was young that I would be able to speak and preach and deliver the Word of God as long as there was breath in my lungs, I um, usually speak about between 25 to 30 hours a week um, right around this nation. Um, the longest I've done is like 26 days straight. There was a time when I used to pray for invitations. <laughs> and now it's like, oh, it's not that I don't pray against the invitation, but it's like, can you please slow it down? <laughs> Can you stand to be blessed? See, when the, Jesus said, put the net on the other side of the boat, and there was so much fit, fish that the net broke, can you actually stand to be blessed? Because when God pulls out a blessing, it'll be, it'll be running over. See, we, we pray for God for houses and, and cars and things like that. What we really should be praying for is, is for the ability to make the repayments. <laughs> My cup runs over. Surely, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I've got to ask you this question. If the Lord is your shepherd, is goodness and mercy following you? What's following you? Is bitterness following you or is forgiveness? In other words, what are you leaving behind? When you leave a place, what gets left behind? Bitterness or forgiveness? Contentment or conflict? Pain? Oh, see, some people are, are leaving messes behind. But if the Lord is your shepherd, goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Have you noticed this psalm? I, I'm seeing it all differently. This psalm is actually about a journey. It's, it's actually about a shepherd that leads his sheep to green pastures, to still waters, walks on through the valley of the shadow of death, 
and finally makes it to a table where his head is anointed. He gets restored and empowered and then finally finds himself home. Where is home? The home for us is the house of God. It's a journey to the house of God. And see, as I get to travel and and, and speak, I, I see people. I see people that are still being annoyed by flies. I, st- I see people that are still depressed and anxious and, and scabbed and people who haven't been shepherd, shepherded. They, they haven't had the care of someone who looks after them. And whether you realize this or not, something owns you. Something or someone owns you. See, Jesus does not control me. I choose to follow him. I, I, I choose because I've come on this journey of life and I know I can't actually do it without him. And I know if he's going to bother me, it's only to better me. I know he wants to heal me. I know he wants to deliver me. I know he wants to set me free. But I see all these people that have not come to this home and have not had the peace. I'll, I'll, I'll be in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, committed to this house. Dwelling in this house because I know this house provides healing. Here's what I believe. I want you to listen to me very carefully. I believe that there are people here in this room right now and um, you've never made the Lord your shepherd. Oh, you've heard about Jesus, but you've actually never handed over. And listen, let me put it like this. If he's not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. We have to lay down and acknowledge him as our shepherd. Then there are people in this room right now, I believe, and you're backslidden in your heart. You once followed God, but what happened was you got caught up in the wrong crowd and you kind of got led astray. And now you feel yourself getting attacked by, by, by wolves and, and, and you don't know what to do. He, he's calling you back home to be restored again. Then, then there are people right now in this place, and if you were to die today, you're not actually sure whether you'd make it to heaven. You know what? Some people get upset when in churches they talk about death, but here's the thing. You're going to be dead a lot longer than what you're alive. <laughs> we should actually talk about it some more. And here's the thing. I've got I to tell you this. Jesus did actually not come to make bad people good. No, 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 you've got it mixed up. He came to make dead people live. He came to awaken your heart, your soul, and your mind and and cause you to come to a place where you acknowledge him as your Lord and he unveils the gifts, the talents, the abilities, the purposes, plans, and pursuits that he has for you. And I I, I, got to say, after after hearing a a message like this, your heart is crying out. I know there are people right now... Jesus is knocking on the doorway of your heart. And he's saying, will you let me in? Will you let me in? See, he's a gentleman. He'll, he'll never open the door. He'll, he'll, uh, will you let me in here? 